welcome to the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast. I'm Andrew Rayburn. Thank you for joining us as we get insights and ideas from coaches working across the game to help you develop into the coach you want to be. In this episode, we speak to Tom Hartley, Coach Programme and Pathway Manager at UK Coaching. He currently works with a cohort of 30 coaches across a variety of sports, all of whom coach athletes who are on pathways towards the Olympic Games. But his specialism is in soccer. He spent three years running a player development programme at Arsenal Women before joining the Football Association, where he worked on the FA Skills programme, encouraging participation for five to 11-year-olds. Currently working towards his UEFA A licence, Tom is also assistant manager at Oxford United Women in the third tier of the English pyramid. Steph Fairbairn caught up with him to talk about what he's learned from other sports, support for coaches and individual development plans. Tom, can you tell us a bit about you, your coaching career to date and your current roles? Yeah, of course. Uh, So at the moment, uh, I'm a coach developer at UK Coaching which means I'm looking at or working with uh, a cohort of about 30 coaches from lots of different sports, all working with athletes who are probably going to be on a pathway towards going to the next games or or the one in seven years' time. Um, So I spend lots of my time working with with coaches there. My background is football, though, um, and everything I do at work, working with all these coaches from different sports, I have to relate back to the football world to better make sense of it. So... um, uh, I worked at Arsenal, Arsenal Women, and spent three years there uh, at the club, uh, running a player development program and, and lots of lots of coaching activities that took place around the academy programs and the, the player pathway there. Um, and before that, I was at the Football Association for ten years, working on uh, a program called FA Skills, which is a five to eleven year old kind of participation program. So I had lots of roles there um, as a coach and, and looking after some coaches as well. So. Uh, I've been really fortunate to have lots of lots of really uh, valuable experiences along the way, um, which and and very much in my current job, I am fortunate to see coaching from a really broad point of view. What does it look like in different sports and different contexts? So um, yeah, I'm I'm forever on this kind of learning journey, uh, which is which is great. What have you picked up then from coaching in other sports that you know maybe isn't as prevalent in coaching football? I think one of the things which has stood out is is the role of the coach and how that might be different in a, in a different context. So at the moment, we're working with a group of coaches on the, the theme of coaching behaviours, looking at what how, how do coaches intervene? Is it instruction or questions or are they kind of observing and being silent? And it is really interesting when you look at some sports which are constrained by the rules. So in fencing and gymnastics and swimming, coaches can't coaching competition so they have to really think about when they do intervene in competition between rounds or between races what do they say how do they say it and I guess in football and other team sports we're really used to coaching in competition it's, it's almost what you expect a coach to be doing being quite loud on the side and, and helping with the instruction and, and, and supporting the players throughout and it, it got me thinking the other day actually to say well if if we weren't able to coach in competition in football how would our practice look and reflect that? Would we do different things? Would we do the same stuff? Um, would it possibly be about more about kind of problem solving, challenge setting, rather than rather than instruction where perhaps coaches go quite quickly? 
Yeah, and I guess having the the kind of space to to think about that. Um, do you think there's enough support for coaches out there at the moment to kind of maybe challenge some of those coaching norms or really develop as coaches? I think that's a really good question. Um, qualifications, I think, are really important to help coaches kind of develop their understanding of practice design, the game, tactical, technical information. So much which falls between qualifications, which is where coaches really need support and help. And it's funny, you get you get new coaches and they'll come on a level one or a level two course, but they won't start to experience challenges until they start coaching. So having someone around them, whether that's a coach developer or even a, a good network of other coaches who can who they can talk to or solve problems with is is really important. And I think some of the things we at UK coaching with running coach development programs is we we don't go in and dictate or prescribe what coaches should do. I'm not saying this is good and this is bad. We're, we're trying to hold up mirrors so coaches can develop their self-awareness and then really reflect on what they're doing in their practice and and then, I guess, understand where they spend their time. And depending on how they want to coach and the object, objectives they've got with their team, they can then they can then adapt and, and, and build their confidence and build their competence. And working with those coaches, do you see some common challenges coming out, like some things that a lot of coaches need help with? Yeah, definitely. I think, I think there's been some commonalities with the different types of discussions we've had with coaches. And look, depending on the context and the type of athlete they're working with, they're, they're going to be subtly different. Um, one of the big things is around coach care. So, so many coaches are so emotionally invested and time invested and energy invested in their athletes and their practice. And I'm sure we're all quite time poor to an extent. And, and we, we spend time planning and staying up late and watching sessions back and um, doing a lot, a lot of work, which perhaps the players don't always see. And the, the, for coaches, I think it's really hard to establish some boundaries sometimes when it's something you're passionate about. It's not always easy to draw a line between right this is I'm, I'm I'm enjoying this I'm passionate I need to dedicate more time and actually and I need time to turn off and, and reboot and look after myself and we, we talk a lot about athlete-centered player-centered coaching which is 100% what I'd advocate but that maybe should start with being coach-centered first so have I got enough time in my life to plan properly um I've got a good balance between work and family and, and coaching if coaching isn't your full-time job and let's face it if, if our players were staying up till one o'clock in the morning on the night before a game um, watching match, match footage or doing whatever we'd probably say get to bed early give yourself some rest eat well how often do we apply those same rules to ourselves and if you think about it well if, a, if an athlete was going into a big competition say on the world stage the Olympic Games or, or I guess on, on a more local level You've got, a, you've got your, your, your performance moments on Saturday, you're playing a big team. You, you would taper the athlete's um, load down as you get closer and closer to that performance moment. Training would be slightly less intense. You'd work on different things. You'd give them ample rest, a chance for them to kind of physically be in a good shape and psychologically be in a good shape. But for coaches, it's almost the other way around. The closer and closer we get to those performance moments, uh, the, the more stress we get, the more energy we put it in. And you think if you're in a competition over, say, a, a two or three week period, how 
how are you going to be the best coach you possibly can by the end of it if you haven't given yourself the, the right amount of rest and time to look after yourself? So, yeah, kind of coach welfare or coach care is definitely something that you see loads because it's really hard for people to kind of separate themselves sometimes from the thing they really enjoy the most. Um, and lots of coaches tend to ask a lot about kind of culture and the environment that you're working in. Culture seems to be kind of the, the word at the moment, which, which you hear a lot, but how can they influence almost around them? So the people who are supporting them as coaches and how can they influence their players? So everybody's aligned and going in the same direction. Coming back to the, um, the kind of coach welfare point, do you think the football industry is set up for to care for coaches or do you think there's a lot of change that needs to happen to allow that conversation to come out more I think I think it's really difficult because I would imagine lots of coaches find it really hard that I'm I coach a, a women's football team assistant manager so I certainly don't have the same kind of pressures that the head coach would have on, have on him but when training finishes at 10 o'clock at night and you've got to be up with your two-year-old at six o'clock in the morning the next day and then start work and you have that almost relentless cycle of training Tuesday, training Thursday, game of the weekend, again, again, again. It's tough. It's tiring. And I think it's, if no one is putting their hand up to say, oh, I find this hard this week or um, I'm not at my best. I need I need a break. I need, need something else for, for, for today. If no one's putting their hand up, then it almost makes it, unsafe for anyone else to put their hand up and I can guarantee there will be plenty of coaches out there feeling tired feeling burnt out feeling stressed but not necessarily having the strategies to be able to deal with that and when when you're a coach and the, the higher the further along the path where you go if you're working in performance coaching there's always going to be stress and there's always going to be pressure that's just part of it but it's having strategies in place to be able to deal with that are really important so creating space and time where you can switch off, you can do something else, you can you can carve out time in your day with, to do things that give you energy. I, I'm not sure how many people almost have the freedom to be able to do that or feel like they have the permission to be able to do that. And look, the, the thing is, we've all got that pressure. The, the, the challenge comes and the stress comes when something changes, the pressure goes up, but we don't have a strategy in place to be able to deal with the imbalance. And that's when we start to feel like things are out of control. Um, so I think coaches being in a position where they can say, I need a break or I need some help or it's not, they feel okay to say I can take a week's holiday during the season. I mean, that, that, that feels like the biggest taboo ever, but for all people, we all need a break. So to be able to do that is one thing. And then just to have a, a few strategies in mind that help, help you detune. And maybe it's not about balance, kind of a work-life coaching balance I don't think really exists because when you stop your day job you don't really stop thinking about it you carry some of those things with you maybe it's more about a harmony between all of them I like that harmony yeah um <laughs> and obviously I guess there's kind of this coaching race to you know kind of progress up the ranks and do your badges and um how do you think you know when you're ready to progress bar oh I've done my level one now I go on to my level two you know should we be taking a bit more time with those things learning a bit more things off you know outside of the badges actually on the grass and then really thinking about when it's time to progress rather than just kind of trying to you know 
move through the ranks as quickly as possible? Yeah, well, look, first, it's not a race. Um, I think there's there's probably been lots of people in the past who have wanted to go from level one to level four as quickly as possible, but, but that's not necessarily right for everyone. Um, actually, why do you need to get to the next level and to the next level? If you're coaching in a certain domain, then actually the qualifications that you have might be giving you the kind of the best the best tools to be able to go and do your job really well. Some courses might not be able to might not be able to kind of help you with that. I mean, I've coached for about 20 years. I don't think any young person who I've coached has ever said, oh, what, what level are you? Um, that, that's definitely not something which is a priority for young people. They want to have a really positive and positive experience and keep coming back. Um, I, I think qualifications sometimes get in the way of good learning as well, um, because qualifications are all, all about meeting a criteria and meeting a set of um, outcomes. But that's not necessarily right for every single person. So there's so much out there that can help coaches become more uh, confident and competent at their coaching, which doesn't sit on a coaching qualification. And I've, I've gone on a journey where I've worked in football for years and years. And now I work in a role which is about coaching, but in a broader context across lots of different sports. And without a shadow of a doubt, looking at stuff which sits outside of football almost on the fringes of like that that kind of world that we live in as football coaches has been the most valuable and the most beneficial for me on my journey so so learning about coach behavior planning um critical thinking skills all, all this, this different stuff that ultimately kind of drips back into your coaching practice that isn't necessarily di- directly related to the x's and the o's is, is so important. So I'd encourage coaches to almost go out there and and look at the stuff that they're really interested in and isn't necessarily about the tactical, technical things. Because ultimately, as football coaches, we've all got the same content. We all go and deliver the same practice to an extent. It, it's more about the how. Um, so if we work out how we do it and how we're different to other coaches and what do our players need, then, then that, that's almost the difference, I think, between a good coach and a great coach. And when it comes to delivering practices, um, I know sometimes I think coaches feel, oh, it has to be really complex and it needs to incorporate this and incorporate this and, and all of that. And what do you think about that? Do you think it's, you know, like you just said, it's more about keeping it simple and it's the way you deliver it? And also within that, as coaches, do we need to allow ourselves the grace to make mistakes I guess, when we're delivering some sessions and, and learn from those. It's funny, isn't it? It's like the more you learn along your journey, doesn't mean you have to say more or do more in your practice because of it. Look, I, I, I've been there. I think lots of coaches are probably in that position where you almost try and survive each coaching session. Have I got enough content to get me through the next hour with this group? And then next week, what, what can I put on this week which gets me through it? And I've found as I've gone along, my journey and, and developed experience. It's almost like, well, I've got too much stuff now. I've got to refine it and, and break it down and make it simple. And I think perhaps that, that part around expertise as coaches is taking all this information that you, you're acquiring along the way and being a filter. So when you talk to the under 12s, you can give them a really clear message 
which isn't confusing. You can use some language which, which gets them excited and they know exactly what to do in the moment. Just because you're more experienced as a coach and you know more things absolutely doesn't mean that you should be making long interventions or overcomplicating things because ultimately what you're saying probably isn't very sticky anymore. Um, keeping it clear and concise and about and, and relevant for the person in front of you who you're coaching then that that's really important and that you, you to your other point about coaches taking a bit of a risk and, and being okay with not getting things right all the time is huge because if we if we don't try new things how do we get better we we, we certainly won't improve as coaches if we don't like an experiment to an extent and there's not always going to be the time to experiment the, the week before the cup final is not the time to go and try a new practice or or try a whole new approach with your players that you've never done before um but there will be points in the season and points within a week where you might have that safe to fail uh opportunity where perhaps you can say to the players you know i'm, I'm, I'm working on this or i'm trying this tonight that I've not done before. I'd love, love it if you could tell me at the end what you thought and how it went. Because if you can share with your, your athletes or your players, I'm learning too, and I'm on this journey with you, then you're probably modelling some of the behaviours that you want them to show. Quite tricky, really, if you're asking your athletes to be bold and brave and play without the fear of failure, but you're too worried about the X's and the O's and the straight lines in your practice. Then they might not fully buy into what you're what you're saying, but if you're with them on that journey and 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 taking risks with them in the right way, then then again I said the word earlier it's about alignment. You're all on the same path, and, and I think that that creates an opportunity for innovation and, and for coaches to adapt and evolve their practice in a really positive way. And I know a big focus of your work, Tom, is individual development plans for coaches why is it so important do you think for coaches to have some sort of development plan i think if you if you don't have an idp there's some risks you might stand still you might end up in a bit of an echo chamber so you you kind of you surround yourself by with perhaps some of the same messages you talk to people who think the same as you um you don't look outside of your comfort zone as a coach and therefore you perhaps missing out on loads of opportunities in practice. So having an IDP can, can be really useful for coaches to be quite specific about things that they're working on, spend time practicing them in a safe environment. So at training that kind of collaboration with their athletes to say, I'm working on this tonight, dot, 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 dot. Um, and, and actually it helps you feel like you're moving forwards. You can, be, you can really master your skills as a coach if you're really clear about the things that you're wanting to get better at. So I, I went for years without an IDP on my journey and without really thinking about one at all, but setting them for players all the time. And uh, it almost feels, again, a little bit one-sided that coaches, coaches are in a position where they're helping players work out what they're working on, but coaches aren't thinking about it for themselves. And an IDP certainly doesn't have to be a huge word or excel document with lots of lots of boxes to fill in um and it's certainly not something that is like set in stone it, it's something that ideally is a document or a, a piece of work that's lived um and it's useful and it's valuable to your practice if it's not and you have to keep looking at it to remember what's on it then it's probably not the right information for you so 
how that's set up and how you work on it will probably be quite different for different people. Um, but the value is huge because it, it just helps you helps you almost plot a course. And even if that course has got some fuzzy goals at the end of it, it, it certainly sends you in a direction that, that's going to kind of keep you curious and keep you learning along the way. And I know a lot of coaches are like, well, what, what should an IDP look like? But is, is what you're saying it should be tailored to individual goals, individual journeys and, and what you want to get out of coaching? I think an IDP could be whatever you want it to be. I've seen lots in terms of format, the way it looks, um, content of it, the way that people use them. So uh, let's think about some examples. Um, at work, we, we use a, a simple document, but as a coach developer working with a coach, it's not for me to tell the coach all the things they need to be going and working on, because actually who, who really likes being told what to do? And if I don't, if I, if I set the tasks for the coach I'm working with, they've got no ownership about that. They, the coach has got to own it. It's got to be about their passions, their interests, and the, and the route they want to go on. So having people or a person to help you with your IDP is really important because if, if you're doing it on your own and you're just inputting the things you want, that the IDP might be a little bit inaccurate or might not serve the purpose that you have. So if, if you're a coach and you're sat there thinking, well, this, this is something I'd like to have, think about the stuff that you'd like to get better at, but perhaps ask some people around you about what do they think too, what, what could go onto your IDP, because then you're almost gaining just a different, a different set of perspectives who see your coaching in a different way. So it could be you ask your, one of your co-coaches what, what, what could go into that IDP. You might ask your players, what, what could I do to be a better coach for you? Nobody wants to be the downgrade coach because let's face it, kids sometimes who are working with children can be brutally honest. And I bet if you ask them, they'd, they'd tell you um, very precisely the things you could be better at. Uh, it's a bit of a risk asking, but it's worth it. Um, so co-coach, athletes, depending on the environment you're working in, it could be your head of coaching, it could be parents. There's lots of people you could ask who could inform the information that goes in there. Um, and, and maybe it's not just about your coaching and the stuff you do on the field. We spoke earlier about that kind of coach self-care. So maybe a coach development plan is around like, your life, all these different people that you are in your work in, in, in day to day. So being a better dad or a mum, it's, it's been really good in my day job. Um, it's being, being able to have time for myself. It's been working on X, Y and Z while I'm on the football pitch. So uh, an IDP can be kind of a holistic living thing rather than something that is very dry and focused just around some tactical, technical, technical things around your coaching. And therefore, it's not necessarily like, oh, I want to progress up the ranks through this IDP. It's actually I want to develop as a human mm. and as a coach. Look, co coach development, like we said earlier, it's not a race. I I did my level two, God, I'm not sure how old I am, uh, back in 2003. I did my level three around about 2005. I don't know on my A license now. So there was a kind of a 15-year gap or so between level three and level four. There's other courses I've been on along the way, but in that period of time, I've learned a huge amount. Um, so it's certainly not racing through things. And we talk a lot 
about long-term player development, the four-corner model. Well, it's just the same for coaches. It's long-term coach development. Um, we, by rushing through things, you, you might miss some of, the, some of the gold dust that's going to help you get better. And with the IDPs, are there ways that you can use them to develop as a coaching team? Yeah, I mean, look, like I said before, having other people input onto the IDP is really valuable because it gives you different perspectives. But your IDP doesn't necessarily have to be an I, as in the individual development plan. Um, if you if you perhaps had another coach in your team, you could have a joint IDP. Ultimately, you're going to have different strengths and different areas to work on as a pair. So by having something that where, where you're complementing each other, A, you can have more conversations about the stuff that the other person is working on. B, you can actively look out for it during coaching and C, help each other by giving each other feedback on a regular basis. So I, I've got a joint IDP with my head of coaching at work. We live 100 miles away from each other and we work in different environments, even though it's senior football. Um, but we're able to check and challenge and share stuff on a weekly basis. It, it's almost a spark for a really, really good conversation. You could try it for your whole coaching team. You could have a, a shared piece that you're all feeding into. And I'm sure lots of coaches uh, spend a lot of time designing kind of their, their match pack and the content they're going to put into the, into the match day. So there are objectives for when we're in possession and out of possession for our team, you know, our formation or strategy or that type of thing. But could you include a page in your match pack? You might want to choose if you share it with your players or not. Um, with a page in your match pack which brings to life some of your coaching team idp so it could be about instruction during the game team talks communication between your coaching group communication between the coach and the substitute about to come on that is part of the stuff that you talk about after the game so rather than just talking about the one we lost our performance was this what was our performance as a coaching team did we meet some of the things that we're working on um in our idps which reminds me as well from an idp perspective it's not just about practice it's also about competition so what are the behaviors and what are the things we want to do in practice are they the same when we go into competition or do they need to be a little bit different and in practice do i give myself the opportunity to practice some of those things myself because it's practice for the players but it also could be practice for the coaches to practice your halftime team talk, to practice your interventions when you've only got 30 seconds. So all these things link together. But if you can share it and work on it with someone else or a group of people, then that could just add more momentum to the plan. That's great. Because actually one of the things I was thinking when you when you mentioned challenge is um, I think we've all been at matches maybe where we've looked at the opposition coach and we've thought, oh, maybe their behaviour is not great or even coaches on our own team and we've thought, oh, I, I wouldn't quite do it. I'm not talking about putting out, you know, sessions, but particularly around behaviours and delivery and maybe the way they're interacting with players. Um, do you have any tips on, on ways to challenge some of those things if you see things you're maybe not comfortable with um, coaches doing? What, from your opponents, from the other team? I guess I've given you a double question there. It can be from your opponents or it can be from your own team. I guess it's harder when it's your your opponents. I think if, if, you, if you kind of look in a slightly different environment, high-performing teams talk a lot about kind of having real honest conversations. 
Um, and maybe this links back to kind of the, the stuff you said about taking risks and that, that vulnerability as a coach. You clearly need lots of trust between your group of coaches and you clearly need to kind of be able to frame conversations in a way. So what? tell you what, for the next 10 minutes, can we have a really honest conversation about how we performed as a group today or what we noticed or what we noticed about the opposition or what it might be? And, and almost disassociating the observations of the person. So ultimately, as human beings, if people criticise or, or share things that we don't see as positive, you might take it personally, but trying to disassociate that to an extent and having really honest conversations about the things that you're doing, as long as everybody's on board and feels psychologically safe, which I suppose is a, is a terminology that I see quite a lot at the moment, but if, as long as there's a, a psychological safety within that group, then that could give you some permission to be really, really honest with people. But it's important to say, well, that's not just about catching people out. It's as much about catching people in and recognizing where people's strengths are. Because when we're coaching, and this I think goes from coaches to players, but also coaches to coaches and coach developers to coaches, there is a, I guess, a, a default to go and coach people on the things where you spot a deficit. A friend of mine calls it being a deficit detective. And we do that sometimes as coaches. We spot players making mistakes, we stop the practice, we intervene, we try and correct it, and they go and play on. However, why don't we coach people on their strengths and help them become well-pointed rather than well-rounded? And how much do you think it is about coaches exposing themselves to different experiences, different age groups, different levels of teams, uh, boys' teams, girls' teams, all of that? Do you think the more experience you get, the better? Maybe this comes back to the question you said about kind of risk and trying new things. It, it depends, I suppose, on, on where you want to go as a coach and the direction you want to go in. Is it about working in an academy or becoming a brilliant grassroots coach? Just because people are level four UEFA licensed coaches doesn't necessarily mean they're awesome with the under 10s. It's that kind of domain specific expertise is, is invaluable. And I, I always have this bugbear that the least experienced coaches get put with the youngest players and the most experienced coaches are further up the pathway. Ultimately, you need real expertise and experience at all these different ages and stages. But I think, yeah, if coaches are able to expose themselves to a range of environments, um, a range of kind of ages, women's football, men's football, it's certainly going to kind of broaden your awareness of, of picking up things from other coaches and understanding what, what great coaching looks like in different, um, different worlds or, or different different environments um, and again like talking about the, the work that I do working across lots of different sports just peering into a different sport and a different environment you could see some stuff that is completely applicable and you can bring back into your own world but then there's some other things that just wouldn't work so I guess it's about understanding and visiting and seeing all these different environments but when you come back into your own some stuff will burn up on re-entry so just understanding well I'm going to take this, but it's not going to look exactly the same for me and my practice here. What do I need to adapt for, for my players? And, and like as an example of that, over the last few years, I've become increasingly interested in you know, academia and research and you know, research-led 
insight to help inform coaching practice. And I, I fully appreciate reading research papers isn't for everyone. I find it really tough. I have to kind of set myself a challenge of looking at one every week. And there's things in there that, that look brilliant. So some work that I'm fascinated about at the moment around uh, transformational coaching behaviours. So taking the model of transformational leadership, some researchers have then highlighted 11 behaviours that coaches could use that have a massive impact on their athletes' kind of confidence and competence and self-esteem and all these different things. And I naively thought, right, I'm going to do transformational coaching in my club. And I went and tried all this stuff. And some of it I felt I was doing already. Some of it landed okay. And some of it just didn't work. Players were looking and looking at me and saying, what are you doing? So some of it, for example, is about kind of uh, getting the input from athletes, getting them involved in the decision-making process. Now, I I almost handed over too much. Right? What, what do you guys think? Where should we go? What if we, and it, the sessions became a bit woolly. And the players were looking at me saying, I'm a bit lost and a bit confused. So I think when, when coaches are looking at new content or new information that that they want to try and apply in their world. It's about understanding your context and what would work right now and not trying to do everything at once. So I think you can you can find all this stuff, but it could be a bit of a di- distraction sometimes. Okay, so final question. Um, you've given so many coaches so much to think about, but say there's a, there's a new coach listening to this or the, there's a coach that's feeling a bit like, stuck they don't know kind of where they're at in their coaching career or what to do next what's the one piece of advice you would give them the one next step to take great question be brave to try something that you've not tried before i think i think coaches who are new to coaching absolutely need some handrails so they need some really really firm clear uh things around their practice to give them confidence so planning well, reflecting on your practice, taking small steps if you like, you're trying something new each week and building on that. So I think get coaches having the permission to try out something new each week and not worrying if it works or if it doesn't is, is really big. If coaches don't do that, they become quite stuck. And, and then almost because you're stuck, it's hard to move on and, and try new stuff. So feeling like they've got the freedom to, to, to be themselves in practice, to play around with a few things, um, is massive. And it's not about trying to be, or strong shoe one and two in there. Uh, it's not about trying to be another coach or, or another coach in your club. It's about being the best coach only you can be um, and, and, and take lots of confidence in the fact that if you've just started, you've got loads to offer. That was the voice of Tom Hartley, coach, programme and pathway manager at UK Coaching and assistant manager at Oxford United Women. Thanks to Tom for his time and his insights. And thank you to Steph as well for posing the questions. Thanks also to you for listening. For more from us, join us again next time. And for practice plans, advice, interviews and much, much more, visit our website, soccercoachweekly.net. I'm Andrew Rayburn. See you again soon on the Soccer Coach Weekly podcast.